humble us. May we receive your word humbly. May we do so, Lord, recognizing that without the light of your countenance, without that convincing beam of light shined into our hearts, these words on the page would never penetrate. Oh Lord, I pray that you would fill us with your grace this morning. Speak to us, Lord, through your word that we might be saved or transformed or whatever is our need this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're reading Psalm seven, Psalm 19. Psalm 19. <clears throat> While you're turning there, I just want to say how joyful it is for me and my wife to be with you again. Um, I thank the session and uh, uh, Pastor Ryan for inviting me to fill this pulpit. I look forward to this summer uh, where I will, uh, where I am assigned another uh, series of Sundays to be with you and we will continue uh, where I am in the Psalms at the time. That is my, my project for me personally and I trust that it will be a benefit to those that we uh, have an opportunity to share with on Sunday mornings. But we're looking at Psalm 19 this morning. The last time I was uh, here, uh, I think I did Psalm 8 and 9. And uh, having done Psalm 8, I half was tempted to skip to Psalm 20 because it, it, it just seemed like 8 and 19 were so very much alike and covering the same uh, territory. But they aren't. Uh, obviously. They, they both speak to the love of my heart, uh, a, a diversionary love, but it's more than that. And I think you'll understand as we proceed. But I will read this uh, as you follow along so we can get the big picture and then we'll go back and pick it apart a little bit. To the choir master, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pour out, pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man, runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. There is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and, all, and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping of them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me from hidden faults. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. 
<coughs> then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. Now there are two great questions that press themselves upon everyone. What is God? Or we might say, what is God like? And what is man? What is humanity? Or what is humanity like? Now John Calvin, who we all love, began his famous institutes with these words. Nearly all the wisdom we possess, that is to say true and sound wisdom, consists of two parts. The knowledge of God and of ourselves. Now continuing, he says, it is certain that man never achieves a clear knowledge of himself unless he first looked upon God, upon his face, and then descends from contemplating him to scrutinizing himself. We must always begin with who God is if we are to have any sense of who we are and our place in the world. Later, the astute John Owen, who was a 16th century Puritan theologian, the Prince of Puritans, as he was called, he would agree, but he added the following. The skill to walk in communion with God. Knowledge of God, knowledge of self, and the skill to walk in communion with God. And contending that in these three is summed up all wisdom and knowledge. This is one thing, that, one reason why I've been driven to the Psalms at this period of my life. Uh, preparing for the inevitable, of course. But also desiring to continue to grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord. So that I can understand myself and the world in which I live better. Now on the face of it, Psalm 19 concerns how God speaks to us. And those two portions, the heavens declare the glory of God, the, the word of God to be desired more than gold, are so powerful and so compelling that it tends to overshadow the latter part of the psalm. But if we don't consider the latter part of the psalm, the former part really has no place. It just lands uh, as a theological discussion. But the latter part shows that all truth must ultimately be captured in the heart and lived out in our lives. So on the face of it, this psalm concerns with how God speaks to us in his revelation. <clears throat> that is, in other words, the God who is not silent, to use the words of Francis Schaeffer, has spoken to us concerning himself and us in at least two different ways. Through creation, 
and through or what we might call nature or general revelation as has been labeled by theologians and special revelation or revealed scripture the holy scriptures themselves and these have often for centuries been compared to two books we have the book of nature and the book of scripture and both are legitimate and both reveal aspects of who god is now on closer scrutiny of this psalm psalm 19 concerns how we respond to god's revelation it just doesn't give these fine rich deep theological truths and do nothing with it 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 also reveals how one not just should but will who really own it and understand it will likely respond to him it speaks for example of contrition of confession of a heart that is broken in repentance and a desire a prayer that is filled with thoughts and a desire to be acceptable to God. After having all of this, this deep, fine theology, we are called to ponder our words and our meditations and ask, are they acceptable to God? I think the key to really understanding this psalm is not the first verse, but the last verse. And what is said here is said for emphasis. And that's what we will consider. That acceptable words and meditations or thoughts of those that are possessed by a Redeemer are shaped with the knowledge of God as revealed in nature and scripture so that's the task that i think this psalm has taken upon itself and it gives us now in your outline i'm pressed to put an outline you know, brother brian uh, uh ryan not brian ryan so was, get me an outline and so the outline is basically good but i i've revamped it a little bit so the two points uh in your note-taking would be an acceptable faith and an authentic faith that works that's good but what i'm going to give, kind of give you another outline a prayerful and humble request and a prophetic and holy revelation so those are the two points i'm going to be working with so we begin with verse 14 a prayerful and humble request let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight O lord my rock and my redeemer you will notice there is a sound confession here and there is a steady consolation here there is a lord who is my rock and he is my redeemer that is a confession of faith the psalmist is confessing that god is 
his rock and his redeemer. And he is also praying that God would, would uh, grant him acceptability in his words and his thoughts. So on the face of it, the last verse seems misplaced. I know I've just kind of, uh, I, I've, I've never treated it as part of the whole before. It's always kind of a nice little thought to put on a, uh, on, a, on a Christmas card or something like that when you sign it. But I've never really worked it as the conclusion of this wonderful psalm. So on the face of it, the last verse seems misplaced unless one regards that the acceptable words and thoughts and meditations of which he is desiring and praying for are shaped and formed by what proceeds in nature, in the revelation of God in nature and in Scripture. The world today would just simply say, follow your heart. And we would say, well, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? And if I pray for acceptable words and meditations, my heart is wicked. And it's not up to me to impute or to infuse what those words and meditations should be. It's up, for, it's up to God himself to infuse the meaning of what words are acceptable and what thoughts are good and acceptable to the Lord. And where do we get that from? From God's revelation. And we humbly listen to his voice. This verse is a prayer. It expresses a longing. It expresses a desire of true belief. It's a set of convictions that are grounded in a confession of faith. That God is his mainstay. That God is his redeemer. That God is redemption. is also creation. May my words and my thoughts be to your honor and glory since the Lord is my rock and my redeemer. This is a really important thought and text that goes with everything that proceeds. So what shapes the words and thoughts of a believer? Divine revelation. So we are called upon to think God's thoughts after him. I think the way that Ryan and the elders have shaped your worship service is wonderfully profound. I haven't seen this done quite this way before, but there is a kind of sequence and confession. We hear the reading of the law. We have an opportunity to pray together, corporately, and then silently, and then we hear God's wonderful forgiveness followed by a charge uh, of what is the duty of human beings. And it, this psalm follows something of that pattern. There is, a, there is a pattern to life. We hear the gospel, and then we say, what would thou have me to do, Lord? Just like Isaiah. So this psalm ends with a prayer and humble request. But it is saturated through the whole of the psalm. Well, let's not spend all of our time there. Let's go to these other parts. And you can see this, this is a, a psalm that deserves three, four, or more messages. 
And uh, so it's a little frustrating to do the whole thing at once. But there's nothing wrong with getting kind of the bigger picture. A prophetic and holy revelation. And this is, this is verses 1 through 13. The Lord has given us eyes to see and given us ears to hear. And he speaks to us in both ways. It's interesting how often that idea of eyes and ears is used. For example, in Proverbs 20, verse 12, the hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord has made them both. And then again, in Mark chapter 8, verse 18, having eyes do, not, do you not see, having ears do you not hear, and do you not remember, Mark charges his audience. And then again in Matthew 13, 16, blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. The regenerate believer has eyes, has new eyes and new ears to see things and to hear things that were unseen and unheard before, even when it was there screaming at us. So he's given us eyes to see, verses 1 through 6. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor there are there words. This is a different kind of speech. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world, but they are not audible. It's not an audible voice or an audible word. It is seen with the eyes and the senses. Now, this is science. This is really doing science. That's what science is, is seeing. It is just recording what one sees and crafting an understanding of how do we understand what we see. Well, the Christian comes to nature with, a, with new eyes and different eyes, and they see things that unbelief does not see. And this is what drives me in my love and my hobby, which many have here have uh, found that interest in me. Here, the, I hear this silent splendor. We see that his revelation or his creation is revelatory, declaring his glory. Why do people take their vacation going to the mountains, going to the oceans, going to the beautiful wooded areas? Why are we drawn to these places of exquisite beauty? The pagan sees unusual land formations and they posit spirituality to them as though there was some kind of spiritual vortex that, that caused them to be. This is what we learn from from Native American religion is that anything that is unusual and has unusual build, uh, beauty to it is, is regarded as having spirituality, spirituality to it as well. Why is there this impulse that the beauty of the created world is more than a scene? The Christian looks at it and says, well, the heavens declare the glory of God. 
The skies proclaim the work of his hands. But why do I have a telescope? Or five telescopes, actually. Why do I like to spend, you know where I was last night? Standing on my front deck at 11 below, trying to find mercury and a pair of binoculars. I just wanted to see it. It's a little dot, an indiscriminate dot. Most people don't ever see mercury because they don't take the time to see it because it's close to the sun and always gets washed out in, in the... Um, um, you know, in the glow of the setting sun. But I love, I love to observe this orbital mechanics, this, this science of physics and math that God has given us minds to, to figure out so we can discover the intricacies of his created world. Nature is revelatory. It's continuous. It's a speech that never ceases, day or night. During the night, we see the stars and the planets and the galaxies and and the clusters and all the fascinating things in the night sky. During the day, we can see the sun in its orbit. Right now, it's situated at about a it sets at about 235 degrees azimuth on the horizon. That's why we have a solstice. And that's why it was 27 below when I left this morning, because the sun is so far south. But it'll go to 105 deg- 305 degrees azimuth in the, in the heat of the summer. And that directness is what gives us 95 degree days and high humidity. And yet, and both those ranges are capable of supporting, uh, with some help, life. Not only is this speech continuous, it never ceases, it's silent. Yet it's fit for observation. One can observe it. And, and the ancients, the, the very ancients have observed it. And so there's just amazing things, the power of observation. And science is really nothing more than a more sophisticated power of observation, cra- crafting instruments and other ways of, of gather, making this observation, these observations more precise. The other thing we can say is that, this, this, that nature is inescapable for all to see. It's inescapable. The Inuits in Alaska... And those who live at the tip of South America, those who live in the east and the west, those who live in the islands of the Polynesian islands and the like, they they all have this voice shouting out to them, the heavens declare the glory of God. It's inescapable. And people on earth are held responsible to that. For what can be known about God, says Paul in Romans 1, is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his in, invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived 
ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Nature is sufficient to leave every man, woman, and child without excuse. Yet it does not and cannot reveal a redeemer. And thus we need special revelation. We need the Holy Scriptures. God has not only given us eyes to see, but he's given us ears to hear. And the ministry of the Word is the way in which God has chosen to generate faith in the heart of the believer. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ, Romans 10.9. So consider what is said in these latter verses. This has been a, actually a song that has been crafted from these verses, um, which I've sung for decades now. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise is simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and altogether righteous. Now consider the nouns. The law of the Lord, God's Special revelation in the Holy Scriptures is also called the testimony of the Lord, the witness. It's called his precepts and his commandments, how he has ordered and shaped the lives of his children. It's also called the, um, uh, the fear of the Lord. Because his word uh, produces and induces reverence in our lives for a holy God. It's, called, it's said to be, uh, it's called the rules of the Lord. And then it's followed by a, a set of adjectives that describes the law, as it were. This law is said to be perfect. It's said to be sure. It's right pure, clean, and altogether righteous. And then there are verbs or participles that conclude each of these amazing six statements. The Lord speaks to us convertingly through his word. Creation can only leave us without excuse. but the law can lead us to Christ. It speaks to us convictingly, making wise the simple. The psalmist says in Psalm 36, 9, in your light we see light. Only the light of God shining upon our hearts can enable us to see the light of truth in his revelation, natural and special. He speaks to us congruously or in harmony or agreement with reality. And when we get a sense, when we can get our heads around the confusing nature of the world around us, uh, there is a joy that wells up within, rejoicing the heart. The word is congruous with 
reality. It is able to help us see and sense our sin and point us to Christ that we might embrace him, thus producing joy. We don't need science to show us our place in the universe, which is kind of a a, a buzzword uh, out there. You know, we, we're out there, we're, we're sending these probes up in the space so we can know our place in the universe. Brothers and sisters, I already know my place in the universe because God has told me, shown me what my place is in the universe is. Science will not add to that. His word speaks to us convincingly, enlightening our eyes. Here we see the glory of God in the face of Christ. It speaks to us continuously, enduring forever. Promises that are worthy of our full confidence and trust. Leads us to worship. And it speaks to us credibly, altogether righteous. Promises worthy of our full confidence and trust. If God's creation is to be cherished with delight, God's word should be desired above all. It's more desirable than gold, yea, than much fine gold. The worst drought in the land is a famine of the word of God, Amos 8, 11. Word of God is sweeter than honey. Paul would say to the Philippians, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things, and the peace of God will be with you. Now verses 11 and 12. Not only has God granted us eyes to see and ears to hear, but God has granted us hearts to respond. That's the direct result of God's regenerating grace by his spirit as our eyes are set on Christ and our hearts embrace him as our own. Revelation calls for contrition and worship in faith and repentance. Verse 12, who can discern his errors? This is a prayer of confession. He sees the glory of God in in nature and he sees the wonder and converting grace of God in his word. And what can he do? He he just, he goes to his sin. Who can discern his error? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Forgive me. Keep your servant also from presumptuous sins. Sanctify me. Then I shall be blameless, justify me, and innocent of great transgression. God's justifying, sanctifying, graciously forgiving gospel is all lined up here in this prayer of confession. And he concludes it all. Let the words of my mouth And the meditations of my heart. Where does he, where do those words come from? God's revelation. The meditations of his heart. What shapes his inner soul, his inner being, his private world? God's revelation. 
And may they be acceptable in your sight, because you alone see the secrets of my heart. Lord, you are my rock. You are my redeemer, because you have made known who you are to me. The end of Hebrews would say, Through him let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for with such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Revelation of God leads us to faith and repentance and worship. And this psalm leads us there as well. So whom do you confess? All Scripture takes us straight to the cross. He's not massaged into this. This psalm takes us to Calvary. Our Redeemer, when we fully understand Revelation, our Redeemer is Jesus Christ himself the one who gave his life as a ransom for many. I trust that you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead because Scripture reveals that and you will be saved. And what fills your mental universe is another question worthy of asking. What fills it? What are the meditations of your heart? What shapes them? God has given us eyes to see. His glory as displayed in nature. He has given us ears to hear, to hear truth in his word. And he has given us hearts to respond. This is gospel grace. This is Psalm 19. Let's pray. Dear Lord, precious Heavenly Father, we are thankful that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And Lord, by your grace, you have brought light and immortality to light through the gospel. And you have granted life to those who have confessed your name. We pray, Lord, that you would minister to us continually through your word. May we go out at night or take a walk in the beauty of a park and see your glory with every step, with every glance, with every eye. And may... Lord, you reveal, continually reveal yourself to us with these gates to which your glory may enter into our soul. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.